The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Does anybody know when those ballots leave the polling split centers, the voting centers, how many are in the bins? When the ballots leave, the early ballots leave the voting centers, no, they are not counted at the voting center. So nobody knows how many are in the bins when they arrive at MC Tech, correct? Correct. Isn't it true that you ran a political action committee that was opposed and spent money opposing my client for that? That is 100% false. 100% false? Correct. So you, you don't believe that what happened on November 8th was not a disruption in the election process? I do not couch it as that. Would a 19-inch ballot image projected on a 20-inch piece of paper used in the election in Maricopa for November 2022 have when it was placed into one of these vote center tabulators. It would cause it to be rejected. If somebody brings it and inserts it into the stream, but not into an, a designated authorized drop box, are you aware that under Arizona law that is not actually an unlawful ballot? I think the, the term in the law is an invalid ballot. Okay. Um, Correct. They weren't following the, the legal requirements for chain of custody. So there were seals on the containers um, when they transported them, but the, the specific issues were that they were just cutting them open, taking the ballots out, putting them in trays without regard to how many, or, and there was no documentation. The video quality coming out of the courtroom wasn't the greatest, which was why the, the lips were a little out of sync, but still some pretty, uh, some pretty amazing testimony yesterday. A good, late, a good day, I should say, for Carrie Lake. Uh, and you can see why. You can see why the radicals don't want the evidence ever to be considered in a court of law. Just get it dismissed. Bring in the high-powered Hollywood attorney. Get it dismissed on a technicality, lack of standing or whatever. But whatever you do, I mean, we can't go through a discovery process, and we certainly cannot examine the evidence. Well, yesterday in a courtroom in Arizona, they're actually considering the evidence and the trial continues today. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show, excuse me, <clears throat> on our website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And every weekday morning at 11 a.m., even when a lot of other news organizations are off on vacation, we come to you with a live broadcast, if not me, uh, certainly one of our wonderful substitutes on this show. We certainly, uh, again, appreciate you joining us today on this, this frigid day right across the country, even here in central Oklahoma. A bad day for solar panels, if ever there was one. No, not any sunlight around. I think the temperatures are down to about 13, which isn't horrible, but with the wind chill, it's well below uh, zero. It was my my dog's first opportunity to go outside to take care of her business 
on a day that she uh, hasn't yet experienced. So that was uh, an enjoyable experience this morning for me and my wife. This was supposed to be a slow news week. You've got the, now here's news. I just played you the soundbite from, uh, or the montage there on this court case in Arizona, which most in the legacy media and even conservative media are ignoring even though they're presenting the Cary Lake people, their attorneys, they're presenting a compelling case that there was cheating on a mass scale, particularly with the, the, the ballot image size going from 20 inches down to 19 inches and how the guy who testified on that, the expert, said that there's no way that that could have been an accident, particularly when it's happening across the board in all of these Republican voting districts. There's no way it had to be planned ahead of time that we're going to do this. So all these ballots are rejected. And I saw a clip this morning of that happening. One individual that went in on the election day and actually filmed it. It didn't get accepted in this machine, went to the next one, wasn't accepted. And he jokingly said, I must have voted for the wrong person. But here come the experts. You had uh, Stephen Ricker. He's the Maricopa County recorder. He's a Republican in name only. But there he is on vacation, just on a Zoom call, wearing a T-shirt like a Zelensky wannabe. Here he is, not, not even taking it serious at all. I mean, when it first started, I think he was the first witness. And right away, we're thinking, well, why aren't you in court? Just totally dismissive, even by his appearance. This is ridiculous that this should even be considered. And then you get to Katie Hobbs' attorneys. What was it that one guy tweeted <laughs> later on in my notes that Hobbs probably would have done better off without attorneys pleading her case? It was that bad. So Ricker basically says, yeah, when we have the, the baskets of ballots and they leave the polling places, uh, he admitted that we don't even have an exact number on how many are in the, the, the buckets. They just go from one place to the next, and who knows what could happen from one stop to the next to the next. And, of course, with the ballot drop boxes, on Election Day, you go in, you've got your ballot, you put it into the machine, and it tabulates it. The only chance for foul play there is with the machine, and, of course, that's happened before, too. But with the ballot drop boxes, like, there's like six stops along the way. You can see this in the graphic here. I mean, and it just, just like Bill Barr said before he was blackmailed or whatever happened to him. This opens the way for, for fraud on a mass scale when you just have ballots floating around all over the place, whether through the mail or with the drop boxes. Look at those stops. Early in-person drop box voting, six transfers. USPS, mail voting, at least six transfers. Election day in-person. You can see why so many Republicans hold off until Election Day, because they know there's cheating that goes on through these other avenues. So they just wait. And even then, you had all of these irregularities on Election Day with the machines. And now you've got this expert testimony. Ricker, by the way, he testified that he never uh, ran a pack against Kerry Lake. And the lawyer might have asked that question a little bit better. He said, 100% no. Carrie Lake's people think that he perjured himself. He certainly had involvement in a pack against Carrie Lake. And then there he is, looking all casual, like he just came off of the beach. Totally dismissive. 
You would, you would think the judge would have called him out for that. And this is from the Arizona Mirror. It says, Ricker, a Republican who was elected in 2020, has created a new political action committee called Pro-Democracy Republicans of Arizona. The PAC will run independent expenditure campaigns in favor of candidates in GOP primaries for legislative and county-level races who, quote, acknowledge the validity of the 2020 election and condemn the events of January 6. So he's cut from the same cloth as Mitch McConnell. Look, we're supporting Republicans, but you've got to, you can't be an election denier. And you've got to understand that Jan 6, I mean, that was worse than anything since the Civil War. It says here, as a terrible result, well, further on, the PAC's goal is to elect Republicans who will help return the GOP to a party that supports the rule of law and celebrates smooth and peaceful transitions of power under a democratic system. Ricker told the Arizona Mirror, he's quoted in the Arizona Mirror, this article, I forget where this is, when this is from, but it's a while back. It says, Ricker, a Republican who was elected, created a new PAC. He's asked yesterday, now, were you running this PAC that was anti Kerry Lake? Oh, no, 100% no. He was under oath. No matter what kind of attire he was in or whether it was over Zoom or not, he was under oath. We'll see what comes from that. As I say, maybe the attorney for Kerry Lake could have asked the question more specifically. But still, this was not a good day for Katie Hobbs. As I say, the election day voting, when you compare it to the, the disaster in waiting, when you've got six stops along the way and all of the chain of custody problems, I mean, going in, just to, again, pick on Katie Hobbs's attorneys a little bit more, going in, the judge had dismissed eight of the ten arguments that Carrie Lake was making. It, it, it pretty much just boiled down to the machines, the tabulation machines, and then the chain of custody issues. So Katie Hobbs' people had time to just narrow in their focus on, uh, on two items. And you saw the attorney there asking that election official, the woman, I forget her name, but now you, you realize that's not unlawful. It doesn't make the ballot unlawful. And the lady, the, the, the witness, corrected the Hobbs attorney saying, well, I believe the statute says specifically that it makes it invalid so if you want to argue over semantics, well, okay, but invalid means it doesn't count. That's pretty amazing. And you heard the lawyer kind of shuffling away after she set him straight. These, these were Democrat attorneys who were not prepared for this lawsuit. As I say, this is uh, one attorney that Sam follows on Twitter. He said, I missed a couple of hours, but what I heard was terrific for, for Carrie Lake, that is. Not only the trial went much better than I would have expected, especially with the 19-inch thing, by your cover but your coverage was excellent. How does it go from 20 inches to 19 inches? Well, the expert witness called to testify about that said that that's impossible. It's impossible for that to just be a mistake or a glitch. Someone went in there and changed the parameters in order, to make the val in order to make the ballots invalid. <laughs> listen, to, listen to Jack Posobiec. Again, you see none of this. That's why I led with it. I was going to start with the FBI. I thought about Zelensky. But then I thought, none of this is covered at all in the legacy media. It's just ignored. 
And Jack Posobiec made a point yesterday or earlier this week that if any of this, these kinds of shenanigans, this kind of lawlessness was going on in a, a deep, dark blue county like Fulton County, what do you imagine the Democrats would be doing at this time and, and their allies in the media? Here's Jack Posobiec, clip seven. If this had happened in Fulton County, in mm -hmm. downtown Atlanta, you would have Stacey Abrams and Al Sharpton marching up and down the streets of Atlanta every day. It would be the biggest story in the country if this level of voter suppression of the tabulators going down on Election Day. He's exactly right. There would be uh, demonstrations, probably riots in the streets over this. As it is, you've got mostly people like Ricker. You know, good old-time Republicans that like to compromise with the Democrats, just like McConnell did this week. And not just McConnell, by the way. That's the dirty little secret. It gets lost in the theater yesterday with Zelensky visiting uh, Congress. But the senators, the Republican senators, could have stopped this. They had enough power to stop this. But now they can hide behind Zelensky in Ukraine. They can hide behind the Christmas holiday. Just, just get the omnibus through. $1.7 This is perhaps the worst spending package in the history of the United States. It will break the back of the United States financially. And yet here are all these Republicans just clapping in unison for Zelensky coming in in his military fatigues or UPS outfit, whatever it is. Can't even put on a suit and tie. He's lobbying for money, pure and simple. That's what it boils down to. He's lobbying for money. And look, none of this is to suggest that pushing back against Putin is the wrong thing to do. But where are the European nations? The European nations are handing over their old military armaments and saying, here you go, we're happy to help. And then they're probably going to turn to the United States and say, hey, you got to give us a, a good deal. The, the military-industrial complex in the United States. You better give us a good deal on some new, more modern weapons. Look at what the United States is creating. A hundred billion dollars if this omnibus package goes through. A hundred billion in total over the past year to Ukraine, which is more than the military budgets for most Western nations excepting the United States. So we're creating this military powerhouse in Ukraine. We left behind, remember, $100 billion of military armaments in Afghanistan. Here you go, Taliban. Take care of it. It's all yours. And by the way, how do you even wrap your mind around the fact that we ran from Afghanistan? There was a report just this week, I believe, saying that the Taliban said to women, can't go to university anymore can't go to school, can't get educated. Where are all the wokesters? We, we, we ran from Afghanistan. We gifted them $100 billion. Who knows how many people are suffering or were murdered after our departure? So we turn tail and run in that case. But with Ukraine, we're committed for the long haul, as long as it takes. As long as it takes to do what? Zelensky, has said, he's aiming for regime change in Russia. In other words, he wants Putin out. Is that how far the United States is willing to go? Evidently, I guess. The European nations have to, do you think, like Mitch McConnell said this week, this is the number one issue for Republicans, Ukraine. Do you think some of the top conservative leaders in, in, in Europe are saying that? 
as they prepare for a winter with, with skyrocketing energy costs. Here you, you don't have any of these politicians that were cheering Zelensky on last night. And, and then the kiss with Pelosi. Ew. They were cheering him on. They don't even talk about the border. They won't even bring it up. If Ukraine's number one, Mitch McConnell, what about the wide open border? The catastrophe at the southern border. And again, you hear all of the pundits now, those on the conservative side saying, oh, <laughs> look what's in the, the $1.7 billion. Yeah, all these woke policies. Did you know that we're actually sending money abroad to, to well, for, forget about Ukraine. That's basically a territorial war or a, a, a war over uh, Ukraine's territorial sovereignty. A border crisis, in other words. $100 billion for that. Who knows how many million more for Tunisia and other mid, mid, Lebanon, Middle Eastern states. We've got to tighten up their border security. But we want to specifically put in this omnibus package that there's no money to go for U.S. border security. This is insane. It's worse than insanity. It's a, it's a demonic attack on the United States of America from within. So, okay, the pundits, they're out there saying there's so much pork in this package. And that's true. But, but even that, together with Zelensky and the theater of his visit yesterday, even that is cover for Republicans who, let's just go back to root causes, Republicans who could have stopped it. The worst spending package in American history, breaking the economic back of the United States. There's a lot of politicians in D.C. right now that are quite happy. They're quite happy we're right here before Christmas. We had uh, Zelensky dominating the news last night. Oh, yes. Hey, we're just trying to do the right thing here. Let's just get this omnibus spending bill through, and then we can all have a good holiday. This, this essentially gives the Democrats everything that they want financially through the next year. So here's McConnell. Here's McCarthy. Basically, even though McCarthy's about to gain control of the House in just two weeks, two weeks, all that Republicans in Congress had to do was to delay it for two weeks. And then McCarthy has control. He stops it in its tracks. No problem. But they caved. They surrendered. Maybe there's going to be a last-ditch effort to push back. We'll see. But it probably goes through today, and it's over and done with. And Pelosi gets what she wants through next year. It's like Pelosi's rule. She's the shadow House Speaker all through 2023. Because, yet again, you've got weak, rhino Republicans who won't stand up and fight for their country who won't stand up and fight for their fellow Americans. Going back to what Posobiec said there, if this happens in Fulton County, do you think the Democrats would just fall back into a position of retreat, or do you think they'd fight? Speaking of Fulton County, this is from Just the, Just the News. It says, the Georgia Supreme Court on Tuesday sent a 2020 election lawsuit regarding Fulton County back to a, a lower court for reconsideration, adding another layer to the suit's twisting saga through the court system. You go back uh, a year and a half ago or so, and with this case, they were arguing at a lower level in Georgia 
that, hey, you've got all of these signatures, some that look the same, and then some of the technology on the machine showing that the ballots went through two and three times, which really just confirmed some of the video footage that Rudy Giuliani turned over early on after the election steal, showing these workers in Fulton County just putting ballots through two, three, four times. So in this case, I forget the name of it. Here it is, Caroline Jeffords versus Fulton County. They wanted to go and examine the evidence. So the other side, representing Fulton County, they brought in the big wig attorney who, rep who represents a lot of thugs, let's be honest. He came in, he had the reputation, he told the, the, uh, the judge, hey, this is, uh, this is, it's not the right standing. You got to dismiss it. And that judge at the lower level did that. And then it was kicked up into the appeals level in Georgia, and they upheld the ruling. And then it made it, uh, then it made it up to the Supreme Court in Georgia. And guess what happened? The Supreme Court said, no, actually, it does have standing. You should, and it's going to be kicked back to the lower court, and now they're going to examine the evidence. Let's hope that the, the evidence is even still there, right? Because for so many of these radicals, it's just wait out the clock, you know, cover your tracks, tell them you don't have it, tell them it got destroyed or whatever. But this is interesting. As I say, it's supposed to be a, a, a slow news week. You've got Carrie Lake, her trial going on today. I think then the Arizona Attorney General trial, for, that was the one that was lost for the Republican by 500 votes. I think his, his case starts tomorrow. And then you've got this kickback in Georgia. Pretty interesting news developing. It says, however, the, the Georgia Supreme Court in, in October of this year ruled on the Confederate case. This is a separate case that the, the bigwig attorney for Fulton County had cited, redefining what constitutes standing for a party to bring a lawsuit. It says, in that decision, the Supreme Court, the Georgia Supreme Court, said regarding standing, only plaintiffs with a co cognizable injury can bring a suit in Georgia courts. Unlike federal law, however, that injury need not always be individualized. So that's what the, the Fulton County people were arguing, that this particular person bringing this lawsuit against Fulton County, she wasn't hurt by it. Well, the Supreme Court in Georgia said it doesn't have to just be that individual. It can be a group. In this case, the whole state of Georgia. <laughs> it says here, in the decision, well, I read that. It says, the court this week ruled on the Jeffords case to come in line with that ruling. It says, the certiori request in the uh, Jeffords is granted, the judgment is vacated, and the case is remanded to the Court of Appeals for reconsideration in light of Sons of Confederate Veterans. This is the older case, the, st the state Supreme Court said on Tuesday. So that was Tuesday of this week. We just didn't have time to get to it the last couple of days. But as I say, some interesting developments in Georgia. What did Donald Trump lose Georgia by? I think it was 11,000 votes. And what was it in Arizona? I think it was 10,000. And now you've got these, what should be, pretty high-profile cases all over the news, and yet you don't hear a thing about them. Shame on the media. So corrupt. So lawless. And it just happens all the time. As I say, look at what the theater of yesterday obscures, what's happening down at the border, what's happening in American cities, what's happening with inflation, what's happening with the cost for food and fuel. 
This is uh, from the White House spokesman. She was talking earlier this week about the, uh, the problem with illegal immigration and what's happening at the border. Listen to it. Contrast it with what's reported on MSNBC, the fr a friend of the White House. This is clip nine. It's not just that people are walking uh, across uh, across the border. We were even able to see, as of last night, a lot of migrants just crossing. And migrants I spoke to this morning saying they haven't had any interaction with U.S. immigration authorities. They just walked right in. <laughs> they just walked right in, said MSNBC. And yet there's the propaganda chief at the White House saying, it's not like they're just walking across the border. Uh, yeah, it is. That, that, that is what it's like. But Zelensky! Zelensky or Trump's tax returns. They all cry in unison. They, they've all got their talking points. And of course, the rhino Republicans are happy to oblige them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The number one concern on the minds of Americans is Ukraine. That, as I said yesterday, that, that does have some pretty serious geopolitical implications for sure. But the way that the poli whenever the politicians in the United States from both sides of the aisles join together in unison for enthusiastic support, whatever the cause might be, you know there's some lawlessness going down. So maybe some of the funding is helping the military effort in Ukraine. How much of it is going into the pockets of the oligarchs? And how much of that is coming back to these rich, these filthy rich politicians in Washington, D.C. Those are some storylines that you, you wish you could get to. But just like with the Hunter Biden laptop, your legacy media talking heads, they know what to cover up and they know what to promote. They know what to publicize. It's all according to the agenda. Yesterday, the FBI finally responded at least at length, to the, the reveal in all of these Twitter files. And uh, listen to how it was reported at uh, Fox News, clip one. Alert now, we are getting our first response from the FBI to the Twitter file dumps. The statement reads, the correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our traditional long-standing and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements which involved numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. As evidenced in the correspondence, the FBI provides critical information to the private sector in an effort to allow them to protect themselves and their customers. The men and women of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. That right. Got, there's a new one. Conspiracy theorists spreading misinformation. What have we seen so far from the eight batches of the Twitter files? We've seen in internal communications between Twitter and the deep state. This is what we've seen. And here is the FBI for the umpteenth time saying that if you question, first of all, it happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. We do this with everyone. Yeah, we, like we pay off Twitter 3.4 million for them to blot out conservative accounts, including Donald Trump. Happens all the time. And then they're exposed and they say, look, if you question our integrity, then you're a conspiracy theorist. 
I mean, why didn't they take it a step further and say this has the classic hallmarks of Russian disinformation? Why didn't they take it a step further than that and say, you know, we've got 51 former high-ranking intelligence officials who all say it's classic Russian disinformation. All the classic hallmarks. That was the only thing missing from the FBI statement yesterday was Russia, Russia, Russia. But they, they sure returned to the conspiracy theorist trope again after, as I say, who knows how many times. It's like every other day, Sean Davis says, the FBI is a corrupt, trash organization that rigs elections. That's the truth. It's completely right. It cannot be saved and should no longer exist. The FBI peddled the bogus Steele dossier in 2016 to get illegal warrants to spy on Trump, and then it peddled lies to censor reporting about Hunter Biden in 2020. In other words, they have meddled in the last two presidential elections on a massive scale. They know how powerful these social media sites are. That's why they're giving them $3.4 million. That's why all these former FBI agents are flooding into Twitter and Facebook as new employees. They're both in bed with each other. Listen to Josh Hawley yesterday as he was uh, getting off of a plane commenting on this scandal, clip two. The FBI deliberately interfered in not one, but two separate presidential elections. And, um, you know, the idea that the FBI, who laundered the Steele dossier back in 2016 through the courts, lied to a FISA court in order to extend their wiretaps that they never should have gotten in the first place, then in 2020 deliberately suppressed the Hunter Biden story. Remember, the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop for a full year before the story broke. They knew all about it. They had all the emails, knew it was true, and yet put out there that it was Russian disinformation. I mean, and we see now with Twitter. I mean, went after Twitter until Twitter agreed to censor it and take it down, and Twitter was the most aggressive in doing so. That's unbelievable stuff. There have got to be repercussions for that, or, or we're not going to have it. Why has no one gone to jail regarding all this? I don't know, but somebody should go to jail for it. And uh, we're going to have to have, clearly, a, a conversation about the future of the FBI and what it's doing in our, in our democracy. Uh, because that kind of power, the kind of power that they have, is immense. And if they're going to use it in this way, um, then I, I have to say I think our constitutional order is not secure. He's one of just a few voices in Congress speaking out against this, commenting on this, this perhaps the worst scandal in U.S. history with respect to politics and the executive branch, the cheating during elections, rigging elections. If you remember, but again, he's not going to get any support from the legacy media. If you remember, this, is, this will whet your appetite for next, re next week's mega montage that we've produced. The year in review, the program that most of you look forward to the most as we progress through the year. Gravian put together their top ten. Uh, and by the way, I should, set, I should have set this straight uh, weeks ago, but I commented on how I was shocked. I forget what the, t the topic was, how, how I was shocked that Gravian even would uh, post it, and Sam told me after the show that, uh, that other organizations can post it onto Grabian, so I don't want to lay the blame on Grabian, which has been a great site for us with respect to gathering clips. Anyway, the, uh, the head of Grabian, he's put together his top 10 montage of the, the biggest media blunders of the year, 
And the third one on the list is the way that the media rushed to the defense of the FBI after they raided Mar-a-Lago, after they raided the home of a former president of the United States. An unprecedented act, an unprecedented act of abuse of power. And, and the media, like, you, like I just said, the media rushed to the cameras and said, happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is normal for the FBI. Listen to this section from uh, the Grabian montage, clip three. Oh, man, there was no raid on your home. A peaceful search that they gave them a yeah. heads up on. Peaceful search. I don't think there was any politics involved. This appears to be a nonpartisan process. The Justice Department is returning to its historical position as a law enforcement agency above politics, trying to do the right thing. These attacks on the FBI are just very sort of out there and outlandish. That's why we have law enforcement to actually bring fascists to justice. It's all legal, it's all lawful, it's not a raid. They didn't, you know, they, they're, they're not there improperly or unlawfully. Because anybody on this set had done the same thing, the exact same result would have occurred. If, if the deep state had 10 commandments that they were sworn to uphold and to preserve, one of them would be, thou shalt not criticize the FBI, no matter what they do. And even after the Twitter files, where are they? They know. The talking heads know how damning it is. So they're ignoring it for, for as long as they possibly can. Only a few, as I say, will speak out. This is an exchange with Maria Bartiromo and uh, a woman named uh, Jill Holtzman from her show, earlier, Maria's show, earlier this morning, clip five. We know that the FBI paid Twitter $3.4 million. And now FBI officials uh, are not denying that. They say, yeah, we, we did pay uh, Twitter, but we're calling it a reimbursement for, quote, reasonable costs and expenses associated with their response to a legal process. And they're also confirming that Twitter's not the only company they paid. So they must have paid all the social media companies to... Um, censor the Biden laptop uh, story and the evidence on it that showed influence peddling. So she's responding to the news from yesterday and then went on to say this with uh, her guest, clip five. It's the same as what they did in 2016 because it was the FBI that was driving the Russia collusion story, which again was a lie. And they're That's driving exactly. it as a way to, uh, to pursue FISA warrants on Trump officials to take down Trump. So they interfered in elections, two presidential elections, 16 and 20. Well, and it shows you how, um, how sophisticated inside the agency this actual program is, and that the model worked once, and it clearly worked a second time, and the level of sophistication and the, the level and depth to which um, they were engaged and not only just in terms of the flow of information and how much power they had over these companies, but then the financial piece now that we know about. We didn't know about that before. That's right. And so I think um, the fact that this has been institutionalized in a way that it's that's actually had such an impact on two full election cycles yeah. um, is something that we should all find incredibly disturbing and isn't something that most people would think would happen in this country um, with our federal government yeah. and our free speech. She emphasizes there just the sophistication of it. If, if you recall in America Under Attack, my father in that section regarding Romans, sorry, Revelation 2, verse 26, he, he speaks of the depths of Satan. 
and that if Satan can just kind of get in there and, and make it a little bit confusing or hard to get to the bottom of, then most people are just going to say, forget it, just move on, move on to the next one. But as they brought out there in that exchange, 2016 was like a, a trial run. And then when, when 2020 comes along, they've got it in place. And then you look at what happens in 2022 in Arizona and other swing state districts. They're getting it down to a fine art, the art of the steel, basically. These radicals, it says in America Under Attack, Satan has the power to conduct great evil and not only hide it, but then accuse others of committing it. We saw this with Obama's use of the deep state in general and the Mueller investigation specifically. It's an example of the depths of Satan that Jesus Christ warned about. That's Revelation 2, 24. I think I said 26, but it's 24. You can prove the real purpose of the Mueller investigation, but Satan knows that if he makes it complicated enough, or to use the word you just heard there, again, coming from the radical left, just make it sophisticated, make it complicated, Try to get it dismissed from a court of law so that you don't ever have to examine the evidence. Just get it ruled out on a technicality. And then most people will just say, well, better luck next time. Hopefully next time we can get a, a better candidate and, and possibly win. It says here, you can prove the real purpose of the Mueller investigation, but Satan knows that if he makes it complicated enough to require deep study to understand it, most people won't dig into it and he can deceive them. He can de That's Satan's ultimate aim here. Revelation 12.9 says he's deceived the whole world. How does he deceive? Well, he has certain devices. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 2, we shouldn't be ignorant of them. He 2 Corinthians 11 says he comes as an angel of light. So you've got to, you've got to understand the depths of the devil to see how he deceives and how he deceives our hearts. Our hearts, it says in Jeremiah 17, are deceitful above all things, all things, desperately wicked. That's what your Bible has to, to say about the human heart and how that the devil influences, and all the, influences it, and all the more so now that he's been cast down to this earth, along with his demons, confined to this earth, so they're scurrying all of these demonic beings and their minions that you see all over the place because they're coming under the light of exposure. No matter how hard the radical left tries to cover up these things, Richard sent me this tweet from Andrew Neal. He's a, pretty, he, he's a conservative in the UK on most things, but uh, he's pretty influential in, in what in what narratives are covered or what news gets exposure in the UK, he says this, FBI paid Twitter $3.4 to process requests, a.k.a. taking down conservative accounts, to run up in run-up to 2020 presidential election. He says FBI dealt directly and regularly with Twitter execs to block accounts spreading supposed disinformation, including top Twitter lawyer Jim Baker, an ex-FBI agent or an ex-FBI attorney. That's an influential newsman. Here again, dropping a truth bomb on the UK. They've been in total darkness with respect to truth. What's truth and what's lies over the past three years in particular. And now many of their eyes are being opened. 
just to return back to the FBI and how thoroughly weaponized it was or became during the Barack Obama years. We had an article at the Trumpet website just a couple of days ago, how Barack Obama weaponized the FBI. It says here, the systems, this is at thetrumpet.com, it says the systems were in place, the tools gradually acquired, all that was left was for the wrong person to be in charge. So many of those tools were put in place, particularly right after 9-11, and then Barack Obama comes waltzing into Washington in 2009, and he was prepared to use them or to take those agencies and to weaponize them against his enemies in America. His goal, remember, fundamentally transformed the United States. Andy McCarthy is quoted as saying, No administration in American history was more practiced in the dark arts of politicizing intelligence than President Obama's. This was back before McCarthy slipped into Trump derangement syndrome. No, no administration was as practiced in the dark arts. <laughs> wow. The dark arts of politicizing intelligence? Barack Obama was a master at that. He still is. He's running the deep state. He's running the White House. It says, Barack Obama and Attorney General Eric Holder did not create a weaponized DOJ and FBI, Bradman wrote. Instead, what they did was take the pre-existing system and retool it. So he's quoting some from, this is also in America Under Attack, some of these quotes. He's quoting from Sundance, which we refer to quite often on this show. It says, in America Under Attack, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry writes, of all the intel agencies, the one Obama wanted control over most was the FBI. Why? Well, because that's the, that's the, like the military wing of the White House. These are investigators with guns. These are investigators that raid homes. And how ridiculous to hear these people on that montage saying, it's not a raid. This is normal. Happens all the time. The FBI does the domestic investigative work on anyone who needs or holds a security clearance. So control over the FBI put him in charge of who can access the, uh, what information. Gives, it gives Obama, it gives him control which is what he acquired over the course of his first two terms. Now he's enjoying his third term, and he controls the FBI, which has been exposed. Andrew Neal, even, in the UK, is saying, I can't believe this. <laughs> we should be talking about this more. That's basically the gist of his tweets. My father says in AUA, Barack Obama has used this partnership to weaponize America's intelligence services. He successfully took a system created to surveil and neutralize the nation's external enemies and deploy it instead against his political enemies within America. Notice this. It says, Obama effectively created a new bureaucratic monster out of the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, a fourth branch of government full, full of unelected deep state bureaucrats who are loyal to him, his ideology, and his goals. They're all unelected. There's nothing in there, in the Constitution, I mean, about any of these agencies. They were all created long after the founding fathers were uh, <laughs> off of the scene. And now they control so much. This article from the Trumpet.com it says, Very few people 
ever identify Barack Obama as the leader of the radical movement besieging America, but no other president decided to stay in D.C. after his term ended. No other president called the Constitution a document of negative liberties. No other president made a pledge to fundamentally transform America, and there's no other man that has had such a powerful hold over the Democratic Party or the media. And it's like I said earlier this week, Anytime his scandalous acts are exposed, commentators, even from the conservative right, they will do a pretty good job of exposing the wrongdoing, the lawlessness, the criminal behavior, but they stop short of implicating Barack Hussein Obama. He's the dear leader. He's to be protected at all cost. Going back to the, the, what's happening in Arizona and how that the evidence is finally being examined in a courtroom, you can see why once, once again, there's plenty of corrupt ju judges in America, too. I want to make that point. But at the same time, if, if evidence is examined and the judge isn't lawless, this exposes the radical left, the communist left, because they don't have the facts on their side. Listen to this exchange on Joe Scarborough earlier this week as they're talking about, oh, we've got to indict Trump. They've got the, the DOJ's got the criminal referrals now. So the next thing are the indictments. And once the indictments happen, I mean, it's, it's like he's going off to prison for 50 years, I guess. But listen to this little dose of reality, even coming from MSNBC earlier this week, clip 10. Yeah, well, in, in the words of, uh, I, I forget what sports star who got indicted, but afterwards he said, in the 1980s, he goes, you can indict a grapefruit. Good luck convicting me. He was right. But do you really want to take it to trial where you've got to convince every member beyond a reasonable doubt, or else this person is going to be able to spend the rest of his life saying it was a setup. It was a scam. They tried me. And where do I go now to get my reputation back? One of the lowest standards in law is probable cause. And that's the um, amount, the threshold that you need to indict a case, to your point. The highest standard in the criminal law is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the quantum of proof you need to convict the trial. So that delta, that gulf between probable cause to indict and uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt to convict, that's where the difficulties lie. To your point, Joe, an acquittal could be devastating here. So that's why you can see the DOJ kind of dragging its feet a little bit, maybe handing it over to Jack Smith, hoping that he'll get the goods. They're not flying out with the indictments. They probably will, okay. But like is pointed out on MSNBC, what a huge difference between an indictment. All you need, all you need there is probable cause. And you've got the indictment. But then you've got to go into court. You've got to go before a judge. And you've got to prove beyond reasonable doubt that in the case of one of those criminal referrals, Donald Trump orchestrated and, and inspired and led the insurrection. So he should go to prison. Ray Epps, not so much. Let him stay at the foothills of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. He's okay. We'll defend him. Adam Kinzinger will defend Ray Epps. He is the only protester that was there on January 6th, actually calling for people to, to storm the Capitol. And Kinzinger defends him, but not Grandma, who took the selfie. Can you believe this? 
So how is this going to stand up in the court of law? Well, they don't want it ever to get into court. So here they're kind of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. You can see how much from the election fraud cases that, that they don't want to get into a court of law. Now the DOJ, Merrick Garland, he's getting so much intense pressure. You've got to get it into the courts because this is the only way that Donald Trump's going to prison. We've got to get Donald Trump in prison. The problem with that is the only way he's going to prison is if he's convicted in court. And there you've got to prove beyond reasonable doubt. So just coming back to the FBI, herein lies the reason why the FBI was so important for Barack Obama to get total control of because the process, the, the harassment, the control that the FBI has, even outside of a court of law, that represents tremendous power. You can raid Mar-a-Lago. You can, you can tell Twitter you want these accounts banned. You can cover up the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, all the crimes on that laptop. Cover it up. You can spread propaganda like Trump-Russia collusion. That all came from the FBI. None of that's worked its way through the court of law. There's been a few cases, I suppose, from the Durham investigation, but really nothing to speak of because most prosecutors, they're just like, well, just forget it. Let's just move on. Russia collusion, it's such an old story. Hunter Biden's laptop, that's so 2019. It's so important for them to get the FBI under their control because this is how they can fundamentally transform the United States of America. Don't be, certainly, don't try to, try to keep it out of the courts as best you can. Certainly try to keep it out of a conservative court or a court with a conservative judge. And we definitely, we definitely don't want to go to the Supreme Court because on the Supreme Court bench, there's three justices that Donald Trump himself appointed together with Alito and Thomas. That's going to be a tough hurdle to clear. So you can see why they would be a little bit hesitant, why Merrick Garland, although he's under intense pressure, because you've got all these talking heads thinking it's just easy peasy, right? Indictment, conviction, prison. This is what we want. But there's Joe, Joe Scarborough saying, look, you can indict a grapefruit, but a conviction is altogether different. So coming back to what my father brings out in America Under Attack, no wonder that Barack Obama spent the better part of his eight years in office trying to get control of the deep state and, and, and that, that military wing of the White House, the FBI, the DOJ, the DHS, all those alphabet agencies, so much corruption running through those agencies. Victor Davis Hanson had a piece uh, earlier this week, and, and, and we just want to finish with this because you can see how he leads his piece with this paragraph I'm about to give to you, and then you see how similar it is to how we start off America under attack. The 800 number, by the way, 1-866-930-3024. I'm running out of time. VDH says, most Americans know something has gone terribly wrong and very abruptly within the United States. They are certain that our wounds are almost all self-inflicted. The current pathologies are not a result of natural disaster and exhaustion of natural, natural resources, plagues, or an ex existential war crushing national debt and annual deficits, spiraling food and fuel costs amid normal 7% plus annual inflation, he has normal in quotes, uh, bread and circuses, entitlements, a non-existent border, a resurgence of racial tribalism, pandemic, violent criminality, it says, and humiliation abroad, 
all these pathologies are easily cited as symptoms of a sick patient. That's Isaiah 1, right? Sick head to toe. The heart is faint. There's no one courageous enough to stand up to it. 2 Kings 14, bitter affliction, no helper. Our crises are not as the left maintains. A nine-person Supreme Court, the Electoral College, or the filibuster, all distractions. See, a lot of what we saw last night in Congress, just distractions. All distractions from existential problems the left largely created. So what are the therapies and prognosis? prognoses for America. It says, in the spirit of constructive rather than blanket criticism, here is a partial 10-point plan of national recovery. So he ends his paragraph with a somewhat hopeful comment about a 10-point plan to turn this around. Now, let me give you the beginning of America under attack. It says here, across the globe, people are asking the same question. What has happened to the U.S.? In just a short, a few short years, the wealthiest, most powerful, most influential single nation in human history has become dangerously radicalized, divided and weak. It has rapidly fallen into political dysfunction, social division, economic woe, judicial and legislative compromise, and catastrophic moral failure. It says the nation Abe Lincoln called the last best hope of earth is, as he warned, about to die by suicide. Why? Why is the nation, with every historic, geographical, cultural, economic, and military advantage, destroying itself? Very similar. A very similar tone to what you see at the start of VDH's uh, column. This book, speaking of AUA, this book, uh, unlike any other, will reveal the core reason it is totally unseen by most people in America and around the world. We write, this, this is my father writing, this nation is committing suicide at the hands of certain powerful people in government and in society. They are actively intentionally sabotaging, sabotaging this special nation from the inside. These radical elites have rapidly and fundamentally transformed American politics, governance, diplomacy, policing, morality, race, sex, tradition, and culture. This is what makes America's collapse so shocking, so historic, and so excruciating. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. If you don't have AUA, call our operators today and request your free copy. You can see the email address there at the lower third if you want to submit feedback. You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is the Trumpet Daily, and we appreciate you joining us on today's show. We'll see you tomorrow.